0: continue the college basketball conversation by heading to the body works plus guest hotline and welcoming gary Parrish of the ion college basketball podcast also a columnist and tv analyst for cbs sports gary thanks so much for the time how are you
1: I'm great. appreciate you having me.
0: Absolutely, Gary. We appreciate it as well. And we were just talking about the strength of the ACC as a whole this year, just coming off of the game against the Heels and the Blue Devils, and then, of course, Duke loses big last night to Miami. How would you describe the strength of the conference this season?
1: Um, Not where it should be, but there's an easy, simple explanation for why it is down, relatively speaking. And by down – I mean, the Atlantic Coast Conference is is ranked seventh according to the net right now. The seventh best conference in the country that's behind the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Big East, Mountain West, and the Pac-12, just ahead of the West Coast Conference. Now, uh, in the simplest of terms, this this, this league should never be ranked as the seventh best men's basketball league in the country by any computer. But the explanation is some of the biggest brands in the ACC are having either bad or horrifically bad seasons relative to to what is normal for them. Louisville is one of the best programs in men's basketball, broadly speaking, historically speaking. Uh, Right now, it's literally the worst power conference basketball program in America, uh, ranked 327th in the net. I know that um, there's some thought that Kenny Payne is going to get a year two at Louisville, but if I were part of that administration... I would think real long and hard about that because I say this as respectfully as I can say it, he has shown no ability whatsoever to to run this basketball program in any sort of competent way, and that's a big drag on the ACC. Syracuse is down relative to where it normally operates. Notre Dame, Florida State. And so when your biggest brands, or at least some of them, are performing well below their normal historical standard, then the the league starts to slip, particularly when it's a league that – I think have some good teams, but I don't know that there's a legitimate national title contender among them. And that's obviously not normal either.
0: Well, and, and look, we're talking about one team here in North Carolina that did make the national championship last season, but granted that was as a lower seed. And it's not like you see that every single run. It's not like we're talking about a potential eight seed in the middle of the season saying, yeah, I view this team as a national championship contender, but yet this is a team that comes in this year all the high expectations. Number one, you recreate the Sports Illustrated cover with Hubert Davis drawing on the board and then you have Sam Perkins turned Armando Bacot in the background and now here they are in a somewhat similar path on their way to the tournament. How do we evaluate North Carolina at this point, Gary?
1: I'm surprised that we're sitting here having the same conversation again because I didn't have North Carolina number one in the preseason, but I did have the Tar Heels number two and I just thought, you know, simply put, if you bring back four starters from a team that wasn't just hot in the NCAA tournament, they got really good several weeks before the NCAA tournament even started. Evidence being, you know, the regular season finale victory at Duke. And I thought you bring back four starters from that team, bring back uh, or, or add a transfer to, to fill the, the role that Brady Manick vacated, and, and you should be able to, to pick up more or less right where you left off. And yet, that just so clearly hasn't been the case. They're not elite offensively. They're even worse defensively. They've had this, you know, awful four-game losing streak back in November, December, and though they did ran off some wins over mostly inferior opponents, there's no getting around the fact that they're now sitting here at 15 and eight, just seven and five in the league, and on a two-game losing streak. It's disappointing, um, you know. And I think a lot of the questions that people were asking about Hubert Davis this time last year are starting to to get asked again. Whether that's fair or not, You know, I guess reasonable minds could disagree, but I was somebody who came around to the idea that it took Hubert a minute to get that where it needed to be, but he got it there and it wasn't fluky and he's going to have one of the best teams in the country this upcoming season. As we sit here today, what looks more true than that is that maybe it was a team that just had a great six weeks And uh, everything before that and since then has been pretty mediocre.
2: Gary, West Bryant here. And so you see some seasons when a team is on top, it's indicative of how the conference is looking. And you talked about that earlier, their rank amongst uh, amongst other leagues. Has Clemson kind of wrecked the ACC in the sense of that them sitting there on top right now, their lack of non-conference wins, is that the reason why they are sitting there unranked? And is that hurting the perception of the ACC that Clemson is sitting there on top at this moment?
1: Well, I, I think um, I, I think that the, the thing that, that is hurting the league is, like I said, some of these big brands are down. And even though North Carolina is not a disaster, it's certainly down relative to where um, it normally is and where we thought it would be, even though Duke is not a disaster It is obviously relative down from where it normally is and where we expect it to be. What that has done, all these big brands being down, is it it has opened it up for a mediocre team like Clemson to maybe win an outright ACC title. Like, I wondered about this last week on the Island College Basketball Podcast because entering the weekend, and it's still true today, Clemson was ranked outside of the top 60 but alone atop the ACC standing. I wondered... Has there ever been a time in the history of the ACC where a team in February was alone atop the league standings but ranked outside of the top 60 at Kenpop? And I bet you if we did the research on it, we'd find that that's never happened before. Um, Clemson is in position, and this won't happen, but it, 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 it speaks to how mediocre the resume is because they did a lot of damage to their body of work you know, in the non-league portion of their schedule. They're sitting here atop the ACC standings with two Quadrant 4 losses and a Quadrant 3 loss, that's unusual. And so, again, this won't happen, but Clemson, both these things are true. Clemson is in position to win the ACC as of today. Clemson is also in position to miss the NCAA tournament because the resume, um, though they have performed well in a weakened ACC, the entire body of work that the selection committee is going to evaluate, there's not a, a whole lot there. This is a team that... Is just three and three in quadrant one. And again, they've got three losses outside of the first two quadrants. That's why you see them closer to the bubble than an ACC leader should ever be at this point in the season.
2: And then Gary, turning the page to Duke, have their struggles this season been due to just a freshman class that isn't as advertised? Do you feel like they're getting better as the season goes and could be a problem in March? And then do you feel like that the fact that these freshmen Have not been quite as advertised. Is that a reflection on this kind of national freshman class not being chock full of just can't miss NBA guys?
1: Well, I, I think you touched on something important there, and that's that, you know, so often players who are supposed to be the top players in the class are now reclassified, and they're getting to college earlier, which is making every subsequent class. Uh, uh, often a little weaker than it otherwise would be. In other words, in a different world right now, Jalen Duran is a college freshman instead of an NBA rookie, but he reclassified to get to college early. Amani Bates would be a a college freshman, and who knows if he didn't have that disastrous early year at Memphis, how differently he might be thought of now if he enrolled at a different power conference school. So with Duke, yes, I do think the class, broadly speaking, was – not what your typical number one class might be in terms of legitimate high-end NBA talent. Like this Duke class, I, I think the rankings were similar to the R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish class, but I don't think the quality of prospect was similar to, to that class. And so when you combine that with the fact that Tariq Whitehead has missed time and it's still sidelined, he was one of the heralded five-star recruits, And Derek Lively, though he's getting better and has made some impactful um, plays on the defensive end and at the rim in recent games, he has, for a top-five prospect, largely been disappointing this season. So when you try to figure out, so why is Duke down relative to where it was supposed to be, which is a top-ten team? Well, their point guard, which was really the only meaningful player they brought back, he had to miss time. Tariq Whitehead had missed time. Derek Lively has been largely um, ineffective. Like, if I would have told you all that stuff or anybody would have told me all that stuff in the preseason, we would have probably reached the conclusion, man, I don't know how good Duke is is going to be. But to circle back to one of your initial points, um, Lively is starting to get more comfortable. There's some thought that Whitehead will be back at some point. Um, You know, if they are healthy and these freshmen continue to develop, they could still be a scary out in the NCAA tournament, but at this point, it, it seems pretty clear to me um, that John Shire's first year at Duke is, is going to go down as disappointing relative to what most of us thought it was going to be. Again, there's an explanation for why, injuries, and, and one of the heralded recruits not being that great, but um, still, you know, this was a preseason top-10 team that really hasn't looked anything like that all year.
0: It's Gary Parrish of the Ion College Basketball Podcast and CBS Sports uh, on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Gary, kind of a loaded question, but I'm really interested in when Jim Bayheim finally does decide to retire. How are we going to celebrate him? You know, we saw him just make those remarks about how Miami, Wake Forest, they bought teams, and then he took back some of those comments, especially with Wake Forest. We know that he just belittled a reporter. All all that reporter did was ask a question about a player's absence. How are you going to celebrate or maybe not celebrate Jim Boeheim's presence in college basketball when that presence turns to an absence?
1: I I do think it's important to note that he is – going to go down as one of the most accomplished basketball coaches in history. And the the career he's had is one that 99.9% of guys who get into that business would love to have. Um, But it is, it's time to go. And I'm not in the business of telling men or women or anybody else where they should work, where they shouldn't work, how long they should work, generally speaking. But just from a pure basketball perspective, that Syracuse program has been down for, a little while. It's been hidden a bit because sprinkled in the past few years, they they had a final four in there. They had a couple of other sweet sixteens. But since two thousand fifteen, here is where Syracuse, which was in my childhood and early adult life, one of the best programs in the entire country consistently. Since two thousand fifteen, here's where Syracuse has finished in the A C C eighth, ninth, seventh, tenth, seventh, sixth, eight and ninth, and they're having a bad season this season. The idea that Jim thinks um, or has tricked himself into thinking that this program is still operating where it ought to operate is a little strange. I don't think he should retire because he's 78 years old. I think he should retire because the program is no longer operating at the level at which it once operated, and that is undeniable. And when you combine it with all of the other stuff, you know, sniping it, other league members which came across as just trying to make excuses for him having a very average ACC team and then you know cutting off or, or belittling um, you know student reporters who are just there asking obvious questions like there was nothing offensive or misplaced about that question um, you know one of the other comments that Jim made I thought was again delusional he said 95 percent of Syracuse fans wanting to keep coaching I work at CBS Sports we have a whole lot of Syracuse graduates who work at CBS Sports, um, you know, just uh, and a conducted a poll, but I don't know any Syracuse fans who want Jim Bayheim to continue coaching. <laughs> He's had an incredible career, but it, it should be over come this March. I don't know whether it will be, but if he wants to do the best thing for that program, for that university, it, it's time to let somebody else hold that position.
2: And then, Gary, we had a guest on yesterday from the Raleigh area and he talked about Kevin Keats and his perception with the fans and with the start that they've had to the season. They're 19-5 right now, and they've got some big wins this season. What do you feel about the job that he's done this year, and do you think that he is a guy that – they should try to keep in Raleigh because uh, we were told that the fans there have already made up their mind about him and that there may be a a separation of the two come seasons in, perhaps no matter what he does outside of winning a national championship or a deep tournament run.
1: Yeah, uh, like, you know, again, I don't don't try to – I once did try to tell fans how they should feel about Mm -hmm. their coaches. uh, And um, uh, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is, it always comes across as an outsider um, trying to tell fans some, about something that they, you know, live and breathe and, 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 in many ways, know more about. So if NC State fans have reached that uh, conclusion, well, then you know that that's, that's them. But I will say that Kevin Keats has probably got one of the two best teams in the ACC this season. The other one being Virginia. Um, I know that the results have not always been there or even um, consistently uh, been what, you know, NC state fans sh- want and, and should expect, but, you know, to, to, sour on a guy while he is having a pretty impressive breakback, uh bounce back season and sour on a guy who is about to make the NCAA tournament and, you know, could theoretically still win an ACC title. Um, that, that seems a, a little early, to be making that decision at least from from my perspective um i, I think kevin is, is a good basketball coach who has uh, gone through uh, you know some difficult seasons at nc state but but finally this season seems to have it in a in a pretty good place so if i were an nc state fan i think i'd be getting excited as this calendar moves closer to march as opposed to remaining discouraged but again um, you know, uh, that, that'll be an issue for Kevin and his fans in that athletic department to resolve when, when they get there. My advice would be just enjoy what has turned into a, a pretty fun season. You've got one of the best teams in the ACC, one of the top, I think, 20 teams in the country, and a legitimate NBA prospect, you know, at the, at the head of the thing. That's a, that's a pretty good thing to, to have right now. I, I bet you um, North Carolina fans or, or even Duke fans wish at this moment, right in this moment, that they were having the season, Kevin Keith is having right
0: now at NC State. <laughs> you like that? That was a nice grunt from Wes. All right, Gary. Final thing before we get you out of here. uh, Ion College Basketball Pod producer, Nada Edwards, and friend of mine yeah. for a while. He told me to ask you a certain question. He just wanted to know, along with myself, what pair of AirPods you're on right now. Is this the fifth or the seventh? What iteration are we on as of this oh. interview? Oh,
1: it's closer to like seven or eight, but I, I feel like I. I fixed my problem. My problem always was, um, honestly, having maybe one drink too many and leaving them on planes yeah. or uh, or leaving them in Ubers. And then we got uh, a new dog who likes to chew on anything that will fit in his mouth. So I lost a pair, to, as well as my oldest son lost a pair to our dog. But now I've got a device that hooks on my computer bag that I carry with me basically everywhere. And you put the AirPods in there, and then it has a button you can actually close it and lock them in there. And so I haven't lost any just walking down the streets of New York, which has happened before. Haven't lost any just walking through the airport, which has happened before. And I tend to not forget them anymore because they're attached and buttoned up to my bag. So this pair that I'm using in this moment, I've had now for at least six months. Okay. That's like record. That's record setting for me. <laughs> like I am I am operating on a record setting, um, uh, 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 AirPod, uh situation right now. I hope to continue my streak uh, at least through the end of the season, but
0: we'll see. All right, we have the vault for AirPods to save you from airplane bottles and canines. That's perfect. I'm going to have to get some of those inquiries from you. That's Gary Parrish, a part of the Ion College Basketball podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Gary Parish. CBS does great work there all across the college basketball landscape. We re- uh, really appreciate the time, Gary. Thanks again.